Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Monday Morning Message. This is our COVID-19 weekly political update. I'm Viara Small. I am the founder and CEO for the Veteran Women's Enterprise Center. It's a national initiative that we've launched to help women veteran-owned businesses scale for success. If you want to know more about our organization, please visit us at veteranwomensec.org. That's veteranwomensec.org. Now, market calendars every week through June, we will continue to have our Monday morning message and we will continue with our trending Thursday tips. And this Thursday, we'll be talking about how women veteran leaders programs can connect to collaborate and, to cel and celebrate as we plan for Women's Veterans Day on Friday, June 12th. I hope you've already registered for our virtual celebration, which will be held via Zoom and Facebook Live. It will be from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time, where we will have our Women Veterans Pitch Competition and a three different resource fairs, resource fairs panelists to help you connect with women veteran resources across the state of Texas. We invite you and all of our women veterans across the nation to come and join us as we celebrate women veterans. This time to educate, validate, and commemorate those who have served in our military and are, and are still serving. So, we want to get started with our program and welcome our very special guest, Liz, Sarah. Liz, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me this morning, VR. We were chatting it up for a few minutes. I was telling her that we just started using webinars, so I'm not sure if you guys can hear our whole chat, but we were talking about names and the history of names and how they get assigned. So if you were able to join in, that was an interesting conversation. Liz's uh, bio is on our website, but Liz, why don't you tell us a little bit, I know you are the chair of the National Women's Business Council, would you tell us a little bit about the council for those that don't know? Absolutely. So the council was formed about 30 years ago with legislation that was signed by President Reagan at the time. And the reason for the council getting its kickstart, if you will, was to provide a federal organization that would provide recommendations and advice to help women business owners and women founders uh, in their quest to start and grow new businesses or establish the ones they had in a stronger foothold. So every year, the council makes recommendations to Congress, to the White House, to the Small Business Administration on programs, initiatives, or legislation that should be put in place or in certain cases be removed because it's causing an obstacle to women that would help women business owners in their quest to be successful in their endeavors. So I'm an entrepreneur by background myself. I started uh, two software companies with some co-founders back in the decade of the 90s. So the struggles that many of your listeners today and many of the women that you support and advocate for are very much the same things that I had to deal with as a co-founder of a software company. Raising capital, finding talented workforce to fill the openings on our staff, forging alliances with other companies, and essentially growing the business and getting new revenue and supporting our customers in uh, the best fashion that we can to stay competitive and, uh, and, and really to increase our 
print. So when I looked at uh, what issues our council should focus on, my personal experience as a small business owner and entrepreneur really played a significant role in making those decisions on what we could tackle that we would really make an impact on, on, on women in business for the country. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting for the council that um, our politicians understood that they really didn't have all the answers and pulled this group together so that they could keep a kind of post on what's going on in our communities, particularly with women-owned businesses. Now, I know you had a webinar very recently around financing uh, for female founders. Can you talk a little bit about what came out of that webinar? What were some of the lessons learned about the importance of female founders connecting with financial institutions? And what are the next steps? Sure. You know, access to capital is probably the number one issue that women business owners and as well as their male counterparts confront throughout all of the different life cycle phases of a company. So whether you're starting it off and you need startup capital to incorporate, to get your website up, to you know maybe file patents, to uh, seed capital, to get your product completed, to uh, expansion capital, to then roll out your product or service in whatever geography you're tackling presents a lot of challenges. When we look at some of the additional obstacles that women face in accessing capital, they are substantially facing an uphill battle compared to their male counterparts. Well, why is that? In a series of roundtables that we held uh, across the country last year, one of the key things that we discovered when we looked at what were holding women back in getting new companies off the ground or growing their company was their inability to access capital either from banks, through loans, or for uh, venture capital. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of dynamics going on in, in those two scenarios. One, venture capital dollars go to exclusively technology companies. So while women do uh, represent a small slice of technology companies, when we look at some of the data, women-owned businesses in the tech sector number only 5% of all technology companies. So mm -hmm. when we see such small numbers of venture capital that women businesses are getting, it is primarily due to the fact that there aren't that many to begin with. So if we want women to start becoming represented at the venture capital tables, then they need to start companies that venture capitalists like to invest in. And in examining the kinds of companies that women start, uncovered a tremendous data set that I think will be very surprising to most of your listeners today. Mm -hmm. So women business owners represent about 42% of all businesses in the country. And that's absolutely impactful. When we compare it to 1977, when we first started counting women business owners as mm -hmm. a gender in the business community. So back in 77, women business owners represented a little over 4%. So from then to today, we went from 4% to 42%. Fantastic. Wow. When we look at numbers, we are at about 12 to 13 million businesses in the country. 
the next data point to me was absolutely mind-blowing. Of those 13 million women-owned businesses, 90% have no employees. It is wow. just one person. We started peeling back the onion to find out, well, what are those businesses that you know, are just the one individual, the femalepreneur, the solopreneur, all these labels mm -hmm. that we hear about. They're mostly services businesses, and those services are very broad. They are yoga instructors, graphic designers, healthcare workers, bookkeepers, wedding planners, photographers, hairstylists, bakery owners, etc. They're Main Street businesses. They're the kinds mm -hmm. of businesses that make our own community more vibrant, that we support exactly. by living in the neighborhoods that we choose to live in for the variety of organizations and retail that we're able to walk to or easily drive to and enjoy. So these women are going to face hurdles in raising money if they don't have their financial house in order. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? When we looked at where the PPP loans were going, and everyone is familiar and has heard so much about the SBA's PPP program to help small businesses during this pandemic that we are actually still in. Exactly. Women need a better handle on what it means to be financially literate. Women need to, and, and these are the five things that I, in my current business as a strategic marketer, mm -hmm. share with the companies that I help in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Women business owners need to have a separate business bank account from their personal bank account. All mm -hmm. too often, it's all meshed together as one thing and banks don't really care for that when you go to them for a business loan. Secondly, women need to select a community or local bank for their business. What we saw in the PPP is that the large global banks such as SunTrust or Bank of America or Wells mm -hmm. Fargo were going toward their very large global customers first to give loan approval for the PPP. So a tiny woman-owned business who had a Wells Fargo account was gonna be very far down the list. And as a result, the first round of PPP money was exhausted before many of the really, really small businesses had a chance to have their application reviewed and approved. We were you know very- what, Liz? Go ahead. In our very first session that we did for Monday um, morning message, we had two of our own business owners um, talking about their experience with the CARES Act. And one of our ladies was a Bank of America uh, account. She'd had it for about 17 years, but she had never taken out a loan with them. And when she went to them for the PPP, uh, they wouldn't process her. Yeah. And so we saw that and uh, the National Women's Business Council spent some time in conversations with the SBA administrator to mm -hmm. ensure that the second round of PPP money would actually go to the really small businesses that desperately needed it. And we were very encouraged when that round had a $60 billion financial set aside for right. small lenders, because small businesses tend to work with small lenders. Yes. And so as a result, we saw many very small businesses 
have the ability to access that PPP money and they successfully got those loans. And so when I look at where do small women business owners bank, I personally encourage them go to a small community or local bank. Right. Part of that, get to know a banker at that establishment. Share with them what is your current business requirements what is your revenue? What are your expenses? What do you think your business will look like in a year from now? Have somebody there understand you and your company so that when you need a line of credit down the road or you need to start opening up uh, credit cards for your first employee or your second employee, you've got somebody there who will work with you. Thirdly, I'm encouraging all women business owners to bring in a bookkeeper or an accountant, part-time, freelance, get your financial statements in order. So many women businesses lack those. They don't think they need them. They may mm -hmm. be a personal trainer and they may say, well, why do I need that? Well, guess what? You need that because you personally need to know, are you charging the right amount of money? Are you looking at ways of growing your business to increase your revenue? Where are your expenses going? So having adequate financials help you build a roadmap for building your own business. And Absolutely. finally, become more financially literate. There are plenty of online classes, workshops, webinars, sessions that are put together and offered by large financial institutions that will help educate everyone, but women in particular, on the importance, let's just say, of having a good credit score. One of the things we learned last year through the roundtables around the country that the National Women's Business Council held is that so many women have credit scores under 700. Hmm. Why is that? Why do they not understand how valuable it is for a financial growth path, whether it's by loans or whether it's by grants or whether it's by equity investment by outside investors? To well, have I tell you, I'm sorry, Liz. I tell you one thing we found out when we did our Moments That Matter research project in the DFW area, we interviewed a number of women veteran-owned businesses. And what we found is that a lot of women are using their own finances. And they're using their own finances until they actually overextend themselves. And by the time they want to implement a growth strategy, they have become a risk to the banking industry. Even though their business itself might be a good business and a viable opportunity, mm -hmm. their credit, the way that they have positioned themselves is no longer viable for those institutions. And we find that even happening with some of the CDFIs that our women are not getting approved, even though they have great businesses, when you look at both their personal and their business credit, it's just not meeting the tests. And so that's something that we've been trying to educate women around, as well as those financial relationships. That financial capital is beyond just what you have in a bank. It's what you said, having those relationships, knowing a banker, by name, that banker knowing your business by name and going to those networking events and, and keeping them a form of how your business is growing and doing is so key, um, way beyond just a bank account. You, you really underscore, you know, such a critical area for, for women to really be cognizant about. So this whole topic, excuse me, of financial literacy 
is one in which our council is tackling this year. So we've been having conversations with credit bureaus. We've been having meetings with the Treasury Department to understand what's already out there that we can help spread the word and point women business owners to that will help them in their journey to become better credit risks for the future growth of their business through loans or through equity investments and really provide the kinds of resources to them or point them in the direction to really um, satisfactory sources of resources that they may not know that exists that would be beneficial to them and to their business. I work with the small business community in the startup uh, technology sector for the last 20 years um, mm -hmm. through my marketing strategy firm. And the number one reason why startups go out of business is lack of capital. So if we can help solve and close that gap on uh, lack of capital for women, we're hoping that more women can get more businesses off the ground and we can start to see a, a bigger increase in women businesses across all sectors, not just the brick and mortar and the main street type businesses that women tend to start, but rather everything uh, from aerospace to construction to biopharmacy to boutiques. I think one of the things we talked about when we were kind of having our prep session is I had a colleague say to me, women always open these small businesses. And the response I had to her was that it's not that women want to open these small businesses. It's what we've already talked about. Women have less access to the capital. And so it's harder to open up a trucking company or a manufacturing firm or some of these organizations and companies that just take a lot more financing. How do we give women and position them to take advantage of these opportunities and make sure that they can get the financing so they can open some of these more um, finance, more of these businesses that require finances, but also be more diverse in what they're opening? Because one of the things we heard from the women is, I want to have my own business. I'm going to do what I can. So maybe it is a hair salon or maybe it is a bakery or something smaller because that's what they can do because they're not getting the support to do what they really want to do. How can we help? What can we do? Or what is the National Women's Business Council doing? So that really begins to touch on the second initiative that we are focused on, which is encouraging more women to start businesses in STEM-related fields, okay. science, technology, engineering, manufacturing, architecture, chemistry, et cetera. And what we've learned, again, through the roundtables that we held all last year, and now that we've moved into a virtual business mode, we're doing those roundtables online. But what we hear from women, particularly younger women that might be at the college level or even in the K to through 12 uh, stages, is we need more role models of women who are in these STEM-related fields mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that might not have backgrounds in those STEM careers to begin with. So for example, I like to point to myself as a technology co-founder. So for my entire career up till my current strategy firm, I've worked in software companies as well as starting two of them. 
I have no degree in computer science. I don't know anything about computer science. I have a degree in business. I have a degree in English. But what I brought to the table as a co-founder of a software company is experience and knowledge of business and sales and marketing. So I'm the one that figured out, what do we price this product as? What should this product look like? What should be in it? What should the features be? Who should our audience be? How would we get in front of that audience? What's our go-to-market strategy? And those are the things that every successful business needs. Yes. So you might be interested in some type of pharmaceutical that makes water clean in a developing country in a much mm -hmm. more productive or cost-effective way than what is in place today. But it doesn't mean that you have to have a degree in chemistry or bioengineering. You need to understand what are you good at? It could be business, it could be finance, it could be law, it could be any of a million things that are part of what makes any company successful. So we need more women that are involved at the C-level in STEM-related companies to come forward as role models because women tend to be uh, harder on themselves than yes. their male counterparts. Yes. If there are 10 criteria for doing business in a particular industry or sector and a woman sees herself as having nine of those 10, she's hesitant to do it because she said, well, I don't, I don't have number four. I've got everything else. Whereas right. a guy will look at that list of 10. He may only have two of those criteria. And he's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I've got two out of the 10. What's the matter with us? We are far equally qualified in many cases, even more qualified. We need to take that risk. And the way we're going to take that risk is by encouraging girls at the grammar school level that if you have entrepreneurial interests and leanings, you can do anything that you want to do. You don't have to just do something that you know, which is baking cupcakes or uh, you know, doing nails or hair. Look, we love those brick and mortar stores. We all support them. We need them and they play an important part in our neighborhood and our community. But if that isn't what really gets you excited, then look at the role models that we've got. And we're trying to encourage more women to be role models. And we're trying to encourage organizations that have mentors in place uh, to work with startups to make sure that their mentor network is very diverse, not just in terms of gender, but also in terms of the kinds of companies that those founders represent that are willing to help startups. I think that's a good, an excellent comment. And one of the things that we do at the Veteran Women's Enterprise Center, I think there's some opportunities to collaborate is teaming. I may not have all of the skills, but someone else I know does have the skills. So maybe she has experience in drones, but no experience in marketing or how to set up a business. Where this person over here is a business consultant and they can do the marketing. And we have another young lady in the room who's a graphic artist who can really design and present what we're trying to do. But I find that the guys can meet over beer and the next day they're working on a contract together. And it takes us so much longer to connect and be comfortable with each other. We've got to find a way to get beyond that and find ways to collaborate. Because most of these contracts are not a one woman show, they're a collaboration. And so we're going to need other people on our team. 
how do we begin to work together to really get that message out more? And how do we get to, how do we work to bring more women to the table? I think what you're saying about mentors, that's so important. How many women do we have at that senior level that we can start having those round tables? That I started a tech company. I started an agriculture company. I'm in manufacturing um, of parts for an automotive, you know, for the automotive industry, but that's not what I do. What I saw was a problem. And in solving that problem, I brought together the right team. And then how did I do that? Because sometimes that seems so daunting. How do I find the people who can help me build this software program? Because I'm not a software analyst. Uh, you know, I think we are at a place today in the business community where there are more resources available for startups than we ever had. Mm -hmm. When I started my first software company, it was the early 1990s. There were no incubators. There were no accelerators. There were no angel networks. There was no money available other than Silicon Valley venture capital firms. There were no support systems. Today, we've got a plethora of organizations that are in place to help startups get off the ground and get to the next level. Founders Institute, for example, is a global organization with chapters around the country that offer programs to help people take their idea and bring it to the next set of steps. So that at the end of this 14 week program, you know what you have to do to push the button and your company is ready to get going. It's come from your head to paper to almost dimensional realization. Uh, Small Business Administration has offices around the country. Absolutely. They have mentors, they've got free support, they've got everything you could possibly need to start your small business. There's a series of women's business centers. This is mm -hmm. a, a, an organization that was started and signed into legislation at the very same time that the National Women's Business Council was founded. So women's business centers number about 150. They're mm -hmm. in just about every single state and some states have several. And any woman who has an entrepreneurial idea can walk into one of those business centers and get free help and free support. SCORE, if some of your older uh, attendees today might recall, is a network of about 10,000 retired executives who volunteer their time in their community to help startup founders. The new Liz, CEO of SCORE. I want to jump in there because we are a SCORE site at the Veteran Women's Enterprise Center. I am a SCORE mentor, so it's not just the audience. And we tell everybody SCORE is for the life of your business. So whether you're starting, growing, or exiting, SCORE is a great resource. Oftentimes, though, you don't find a lot of women at the table. You yes. don't find a lot of women mentors at the table. And sometimes for women, it's good to see other women doing what you're doing because we know that the guys are in all these different segments. And then you kind of look at it and say, okay, there's no one doing this like me. And so you want to look for those areas where you can find other women that are doing what you're doing. I think that's I'm, so important too. I am so thrilled to hear that you are a SCORE site. And yes, we are. the new CEO of SCORE is a Bridget. woman. Yes. I recently had a, a very lengthy conversation with her, and she assured me that one of her mandates is to diversify that SCORE network every year and make sure that there are more women involved. Yes. 
and women of all ethnic backgrounds as mentors, because we know to your point, how important that is for a woman that wants to start a company that is not your typical brick and mortar to see potential mentors of women before her who have done it. Very, very important, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right, there are so many resources. I, I talk to people that call us all the time and it's so interesting that they don't know how to find these resources or they come up in different searches. They don't come up the way that they should. And I think we, all of us have to do a better job of talking to our resource partners and letting them know, you know, how are SEOs in there so that when people are looking for help, these organizations come up so that they can reach out to them. You're so right. I mean, I think the whole business sector has about a you know, a, a big gap when it comes to marketing. I mean, as a marketer, we need to do a better job, all of these organizations of getting the word out on what we do and organizations like yours that are doing these Monday morning messages and other webinars and inviting organizations like the NWBC to talk about what we are working on I think plays a really critical role. And I really applaud you and thank you for having me today so that at least to your audience, they get to hear about what NWBC is about and why it's important for us to keep our finger on the pulse of women entrepreneurs around the country. Because the more we can understand what's holding you back, the better the set of recommendations will be that we make to Congress or to the Small Business Administration on things they can do better. And they look to us for that feedback. So we have a ready and willing set of ears that wants to know what can they do better. And we wanna be able to bring the best advice to their respective table. You know, one of the things I want to bring up while we're speaking, Liz, is I had reached out to a number of our banking partners when this whole COVID-19 thing started. And what we find is that a lot of our women, particularly those startups or some of those that are just kind of hitting brick walls, as you said, with these community-based organizations, they're not paying themselves. They're putting, every, at least they're not paying themselves officially. They're putting everything back into their business. So the whole pay, pay, paycheck protection program just kind of eliminated that group because there was no paycheck. And so then how do we begin to look at some of our smaller community-based businesses and make sure that they're able to get resources because it's not bad that you're reinvesting in your business, but it is bad that you're not paying yourself in any kind of constructive way so you can go back and show. We've started recommending to our women that even if you just pay yourself $150 a month and you turn around and give it back to your business, you need to establish that there is a paycheck coming to the owner of that company. Do you guys have any recommendations or have you had any, any discussions around this group and how to better serve them? Well, I think the number one thing goes back to, again, with this group is they really need to have the financial statements about their business. Mm -hmm. um, they need to have a balance sheet. Every business needs to look at your monthly income statements. How much money is coming in, in revenue, but how much money is going out the door in expenses? And not until you have that on a piece of paper that you can look at and hold in one hand and say, am I making money doing this? Does this even make sense for me to exactly. do? If you don't have that, 
how do you know that the things you're spending money on are really going to go back and deliver future revenue? Are you doing the right set of things to grow your business? And so I think having financial statements is part of that overall uh, umbrella of being financially literate. Because at the end of the day, running a business is about being profitable. If you can't be profitable, what's the point? Now, many businesses go through highs and lows. And we're in a period today where, unfortunately, many people who are running small businesses may not exit out the other end in a positive way. You know, this closure for the period of time that we've had to endure might be more than some businesses can survive. We hope that isn't the case. And we really encourage everyone in in our country to really support your local small businesses because they are the character of where you've chosen to live. And they desperately need your help. All businesses are struggling today because of what we've been through as a country but the small businesses are hurting the most. I think one of the other things that would be good to talk about, are there any, well, number one, you guys have your public uh, hearing tomorrow. So do you wanna give us a little bit of insight into what's going on or better yet, tell everyone why they should sign up to make sure that they're there to hear what's going on with the National Women's Business Council in the very Absolutely, so a couple times a year, the National Women's Business Council has to do a public meeting to share with uh, all interested business partners and participants what the issues are that we're working on and what some of the uh, policy areas within those issues we're looking to address. And we do that by way of getting feedback, like are those good things for us to be focusing on? What is your uh, viewpoint on various aspects of those things? So the three issues that we're going to discuss in detail tomorrow have to do with number one, access to capital. And under that, one of those topics will be, how do we make more women business owners financially literate? The second major topic will be, how do we encourage more women to start companies in STEM related areas Mm -hmm. versus the very familiar brick and mortar. And then the third area is how do we help women starting businesses in rural communities? Mm -hmm. And those are our three major pillars. And within each of those, we've got a series of specific recommendations that we're in the process of formulating. We don't have all of those ready at the moment because we're still looking for feedback and additional Mm -hmm. input. So we invite anyone who would be interested in hearing what we're doing in those three areas to go to the NWBC website. It's nwbc.gov and sign up to attend so that we can send you the link and you can you know, virtually join us in this session tomorrow. It's going to be held at 12 noon Eastern and it'll go for about two hours. Our NWBC council will be part of that call and various council members uh, will be presenting what we're working on in each of those three areas. So our council is made up of women business owners as well as women presidents of women organizations. So for example, we've got eight women business owners, 
And because we're a nonpartisan federal organization, half of those women business owners are of the Republican Party and the other half is of the Democratic Party because we are looking at what are the things we can do to help women regardless of political affiliation. Absolutely. And I I have to say that in many of the meetings that our staff has set up on Capitol Hill, as well as with representatives of SBA and the White House, helping small businesses is the number one totally non-controversial issue that there is in the country right now. Everyone, Everyone wants to help the small business owner. So I feel very honored and very thrilled that the work that we're doing and continue to do is getting a great audience from our lawmakers and our elected officials that we are, we are going to make a huge impact. And uh, we're very excited when we have a large turnout because more people hearing what we're doing delivers more feedback delivers a better pointed message and a better structured recommendation. So I wanna share one last thing. And I think that whole concept around getting more women in STEM is very important. And one of the things I think a lot of us would like to see because I've heard women ask about that is more incubators and more accelerators that are focused on women in these areas where they can come together and collaborate and get the kind of partnership support and leadership to really build out a software program, a manufacturing company, you know, um, whatever it is that they're looking to do. We have so much going on in clean energy and sustainability. And I know that I've heard women discuss really creative ideas they have, but then they just kind of lay back because they feel like I don't have the expertise to make it happen, but I think this is what people should be doing. And we need to tell them that you don't have to have the expertise you can leave that idea. You just need to build the right team. I don't think that message is getting crossed. I really hope you guys bring that home tomorrow in your meeting to just keep letting women know you can have a great idea. Now you just need to build a team. Yeah. And we need to do a better job of helping them build those teams. You know, teams is really what it's all about. So when I look at um, my software company co-founders and I, so there were three of us. I was Mm -hmm. the business person, the marketer. The second co-founder was our software guru. He's the one that built the software platform. And the third partner was the money guy. He was uh, an ex-consulting firm partner who wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So he he was the bankroll. So we used his money, my expertise, and my software developers, you know, coding ability. Any one of us by ourselves couldn't have done it alone. But the three of us brought the three critical components of the business together. And we were together through the whole life of getting that company designed and built and launched and marketed and our first set of revenue in the door. And so your point about forming a team is really critical. And so you don't have to be the domain expert. So in our case, as a software company, I wasn't the domain expert, but I was the business expert. And you need to look at what are you good at and what are you passionate about and apply that to something that you would enjoy doing. So before I got into tech, I was in a very different industry, again, as a business and marketing 
uh, executive, but I knew that technology was really transforming, and we're going way back. I'm going to even tell you how far back. But technology was really about to transform the way business worked and the way we work and handle our lives and our day-to-day activities. And I knew I wanted to be part of that. I knew I didn't want to learn how to create software or do coding or how it all worked. I didn't care about. But what it did is what I did get interested and excited Mm -hmm. about. And so I just encourage all women to look at what are you good at? What do you really get excited about? And then marry that with other people. And it doesn't have to be other women. I mean, as I just explained, I teamed up with two other men. And remember, male make up 50% of the workforce and the business community. So don't just say, I'm only going to work with women because you're cutting out 50% of your market. Exactly. Look at what are the personality characteristics Do you all share the same goals? Do you all have the same vision? And where partnerships don't work out is where you've got different visions and different Mm -hmm. goals. And that works. And that's the case of every partnership, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's a business, got to be on the same page. Absolutely. So let me see. We're winding down. We're at about 1042. I've posted that if anyone has any questions, so I'm watching to see if any questions pop up. I'm I'm looking both ways on Facebook Live and on Zoom, (laughs) trying to make sure we don't miss anybody. So when you see me kind of looking around, that's what I'm doing, trying to make sure both of our um, platforms are covered. But I did want to ask you, you know, give us, and I know you gave us your five points, and that may have been it. But let me know, are there three strategies, key strategies that you think women should employ now um, to effectively pivot and position your business as we begin to not just survive this pandemic, but I'm really looking for women to come out thriving. And so what are those things every female business owner should be looking at and saying, hey, I need to be looking at these three key things. If I'm going to seriously pivot and position my business to do more than just survive this, but to come out and thrive. I, I think that's the very subject that every business needs to grapple with today, not just a woman-owned business and not just a small business. So the mm-hmm. perspectives that you need to consider are these. Number one, your employees. How can you prepare them for dealing with your customer base and your potential customer base in a way now that they will feel comfortable as well as safe. Number two, your customers. How are you going to interact with them going forward? Does that change? And if so, in what way? Your prospect base. How are you going to attract and serve new customers? How will that differ from the way you've been doing it? Meet with your team, meet with advisors, Bring in some outside experts that are willing to provide some coaching on a pro bono basis and talk about what does your new plan look like. The more perspectives that you can gather to put those thoughts into place will give you a better, more targeted plan that will make sense both for your organization as well as your marketplace. Look at what you can do to make it easier or more productive for your employees and your customers 
to do business with you. You don't necessarily have to go back to, and I'm hearing this all the time from larger organizations where everyone used to come into the office every day from 8.30 to 5.30. Well, they've learned that hey, things didn't work too badly when people were teleworking. So exactly. maybe, maybe you're going to move to a schedule which is part of the time everyone is in the office, part of the time people are working from home in a telework situation. I think the whole nature of work and where it's conducted has been dramatically impacted by what we've just gone through. And I think it's going to change going forward. I think we're gonna learn that work doesn't have to happen between 8.30 and 5.30. Right. In the technology sector, my whole career, and especially in working with tech companies for the last 20 years, we've been virtual for 20 years. We've mm -hmm. been using all of these virtual teleconference platforms from Slack to Zoom to Google Hangouts, platforms that many of the rest of the business community have just discovered, hey, we've been there. <laughs> we work around the clock because we've got teams of people that are offshore oh, yeah. in the Philippines, in you know Russia, in India. So we're used to knowing that at two o'clock in the morning, we're going to get an email because our development team has a question about X, Y, or Z. So tech has been very, uh, I would say, seamlessly affected by this move to virtual because we've already been there. But as right. other industry sectors are moving into that space, I think it's going to impact for the better the way yes. business is, is conducted. I was just going to say that um, I would say so many businesses have not been connected and they right. were kind of forced to get connected. And now they're finding all of these more um, automated ways to do what they were doing and to connect with people. So we're doing these virtual sessions now, but we want our attendees to know that in the third quarter, we're going to start doing these as podcasts and just kind of reposting them so people can get to this information whenever they want. And we're going to be doing kind of what you said. We're starting a masterclass for our business owners to help them think about transformation because so many of our business owners are one woman team. So who do they talk to? Who do they share this information with? Who do they bounce ideas off of to figure out what are those next steps? What are other people are doing? And so we need to bring together that team so that people can have some place to come and talk about their challenges and what other people are doing to succeed and how they might find ways to work together. So I have really two good questions for you. I wanna make sure we don't miss them and run out of time. So the first question I have is, where do you find those like-minded people if they are not in our circle of friends, family, and coworkers? So I would say, look within your industry. Uh, and I'm gonna point to uh, an, an email with a, a, a news flash that I got just the other day. Okay. Every industry is looking at ways to spur innovation and entrepreneurship in their mm -hmm. sector. So this little notice that I got, little big notice from NASA Space Agency, mm -hmm. just launched a pilot program called Entrepreneurs Challenge. And they're trying to bring new ideas and participants in new technology areas for the space agency. So in areas like robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence. And the program will award $100,000 in prize money to you know the winners of those people coming up Bad with the best. 
So every industry is doing something like this. And I would encourage you to look within the industry of the kind of business you're looking to start or that you have. I'll give you a very different example of a different approach. BMW, the car company, mm-hmm. has an incubator in New York City. And I've spent some time doing uh, workshops and virtual webinars on different marketing and uh, go-to-market strategy ideas for their companies and their incubator. Their mm-hmm. incubator invests money in startups. I believe it's like $100,000 in the startups that they bring into the incubator. And the kinds of startups that they look for are ones that have technologies related to the urban city. So it doesn't have to be car related. It could be anything pertaining to the city. So two different examples, a a large global organization, BMW, doing an incubator to spur innovation and entrepreneurship of uh, technologies that will be relevant to the city and transportation. And then NASA, the space agency, looking for technology and ideas related to robotics and artificial intelligence and things that could be components of their mission award programs. There are lots of grants. There are lots of prizes in every industry for great ideas. The way to find out about it, get online and do some research. I was just about to add to that question. It was like, I didn't hear about the IBM program. It was like, you just got to get online and continue to do that research and dig deeper because I always find things coming up about women's programs and groups that are doing women thing. And I've never heard of them. And then as you dig deeper, they're actually doing good work, but it's just not something that's televised or that's well known. So we have a second question here. Can you discuss... What are the needs in rural areas that have been identified already for potential opportunities? Well, the challenges that we're tackling in rural areas um, are the things that are slowing women business owners down. One is access to rural broadband. So lots of women entrepreneurs tend to have what I'll call maker businesses. Homemade artwork, homemade jewelry, homemade pottery, maker stuff. And that stuff is sold on Etsy for the most part. Well, unless you've got good internet access, if you're running a business that is 100% virtual online on sites like Etsy, it's not gonna be easy to do business with you if your customers can't get to the images quickly enough and uh, you don't have an easy ability to populate your site, to show the next round of your new creations. So rural access to broadband has been a longstanding issue that we're tackling. And we're looking at ways and and, um, paths where we can get the public sector as well as the private sector together. The second challenge in rural areas is childcare access. Mm. And so we've been hearing through our roundtables that there aren't enough childcare centers or solutions for women that are close enough by. Again, the biggest challenge that rural women entrepreneurs face is distance. 
Well, we held some roundtables outside Des Moines, Iowa, and in Nampi, Idaho, tiny <laughs> little town. Women were driving an hour and a half just to come to our session. So we were thrilled to have them there, but we also at the same time realized they can't take three hours out of a day once a week to go to a networking session right. uh, because they need that time to run their business and grow their business. So we're looking at what other organizations that might be government organizations, can we get into the mix that will help women in rural communities? community colleges that have entrepreneurship centers. Perhaps there are ways that they can incorporate women from the community that are not attending the classes to be part of those, or women in the community to access a mentor network that the community college's entrepreneurship center might have. The local economic development offices that every county around the country has might be a source of mentors. And since it's at the county level, it might be a closer geographic distance from where that woman has her business. SBA has regional offices, but how can we get more women's business centers into those rural communities? So we were very excited over the last year that some of our recommendations for loosening up the requirements to put a, a women's business center in place were mm -hmm. relaxed and enabled more women's business centers to be opened in rural areas. So it's, it, it's a marriage of a lot of current organizations that are out there to maybe don't concentrate your resources in the big cities because there's so much there already. And we've even made recommendations to SBA is don't put out all the resources in DC and Chicago and you know Dallas we need to get some of those in the more rural parts of the country too. Well, I think we need to also remind the SBA to just look at the big picture because when I moved to Dallas in 2016, we didn't have a women's business center. And that's a huge uh, metropolitan that has a, a, a plethora of women businesses and very successful women businesses that didn't have a women's business center to support them. So I think we need to look at the whole way of how we decide where they go and, and how we're placing them to make sure that we're really offering uh, support across the board and not just in, in small pockets, women are having the opportunity to be successful. And I just wanna clarify, cause her question was around potential opportunities. We talked more about challenges. So are there any potential opportunities that you know of how we look more at how can we help those women in the rural communities that are trying to get things done already? Well, you know, I would say it depends what your own objectives are. Mm -hmm. Do you want your impact to be at the main street level or do you want your impact to be at the state and national level? And that really goes back to where's your passion and what's your vision? And if your vision is beyond main street, then we encourage you to look at STEM related areas. And there are a lot of sources of funding for STEM-related companies. So the National Science Foundation has a very large grant program for early stage, idea stage companies, lots of money. So I've worked with many Baltimore area companies to help them put their applications together to get funding from the NSF to help build their products and get them in the market. 
So there's two phases of those um, small business innovation research grants mm -hmm. that could total up to $750,000. Well, that's a wow. lot of money. And you're not taking equity away from you to give to an investor. This is a grant. And it's a way for you to get a business in a technical area done and launched. So go to the National Science Foundation website. They make it very easy initially. You submit a three-page executive summary, and they'll let you know whether this idea is in the realm of what they like to fund. And if it's not, okay. Look at things like NASA. Look at each competitions that are being held around the country and just well, have a free industry for a way to get some early stage or seed money to get your business off the ground. And look at incubators. So many incubators that are uh, funded by counties or state will offer some initial investment money into your company. Mm -hmm. Private incubators will often do the same thing through an investor, an angel investor network that works in conjunction with that um, incubator. So do some research on whether there are incubators in your area. And in many cases, incubators could also be subject area specific. So they could be incubators for technology only, or they could, just like the BMW is an incubator for smart city type technologies. Healthcare, we have wildcatters and healthcare innovators. So yeah, that you have to do your research and find the right match because just because it's an accelerator or an incubator for small businesses, they are usually focused on a specific area or an industry. I did want to tap in. I, I don't see another question on either one of the platforms. And I did just want to tap into, we had that quick conversation about manufacturing and we're going to be launching a manufacturing masterclass um, in collaboration with SMU. And I wanted to know if you guys had received any feedback about how women are doing in manufacturing, on uh, what strategies we're looking at around manufacturing for women and what our guests should be thinking both on Facebook and on Zoom about how to move into this industry. And if you're in it, how are you pivoting and positioning yourself? Because we know a lot of these companies closed and there were slowdowns and there's all kinds of things going on with logistics. How do we begin to really support this industry? Well, I would look toward the uh, trade organization that represents the manufacturing sector. It's based mm -hmm. in DC and it's called the National Association of Manufacturing. Okay. I, would, I would look into whether they have any specific initiatives or programs that are geared to women with the, with the objective to get more women involved in that industry, in that sector, either as entrepreneurs or in the workforce. So a, a related example is the National Association of Home Builders, NAHB. Mm -hmm. I was invited to their annual convention a year ago and gave a luncheon keynote address to their Women in Construction policy and foundation group, which is part of the umbrella of the home builders. Mm -hmm. So this women's group has been dedicated through their chapters around the country to encouraging more women to start companies in the home building sector. So that's everything from electricians to plumbers, to general contractors, to carpenters, to drywall people, to, you know, complete big companies. And I think it's the large trade groups such as these across every industry sector 
that really is best positioned to help women get into their industry and to support them through job training. I know this women's group as part of NAHB does a lot of local level networking, job training, and just you know career advice on how do you start an electrical business or how do you start a drywall business or whatever it might be. And I think these are the kinds of pathways that women need to utilize, A, first discover them, and then B, get on the train and utilize whatever resources they're making available to help you get your business idea, I guess, better formulated, better directed, maybe more focused and started. Yeah, I agree with you. And if they, if they don't have something in place as a member, Hey, take on a leadership role and say, hey, what are we doing for women? What can we do for women? How can we help women, minorities, veterans, you know, get in this game and be better positioned to be successful? So if you don't have it, don't get distressed, join the group and take on a leadership role and make it happen. Well, we're at 1101. I want to respect everybody's time. Liz, can you just tell us one more time about Tuesday's event, where to go, how to get connected so everyone can possibly make it tomorrow? Absolutely. So go to the uh, nwbc.gov website, sign up for our mailing list. So besides being able to participate tomorrow, we'd love to invite you to our virtual roundtables that will be held from now to the end of the year on each of these three issues, capital, STEM, and rural. We'd love to invite you to our webcast and just keep you informed of the progress that we're making in formulating recommendations. You can join our Twitter, it's at NWBC. You can join us on LinkedIn, uh, as well as our email list. And I invite everyone today to connect with me on LinkedIn, as well as on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at LizSarahPR. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So the more we hear from you, the better we can help you. So I want to thank all of our guests for joining us for Monday Morning Message. I want to thank you, Liz, for a very engaging and enlightening conversation. Remember that June 12th is Women's Veterans Day. Our virtual celebration will be from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time via Zoom and Facebook Live. Also, we will be joining the Women's Business Council Southwest for their women business, how can veteran-owned businesses get certification and why is it important? I will be a panelist with them on Thursday. And then Thursday night, how women veteran program leaders can connect, collaborate, and continue to celebrate women-owned businesses via our Trending Thursday tips. So there's a lot going on this week. Visit our website if you need to be reminded. Liz, thank you again. And everyone, have an amazing week. Thank you so much, VR. I really enjoyed it. And congratulations to all of you on Veteran Women's Day. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye.